You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, a UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 111 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and not with me this week in the kitchen studio, well actually I'm in the living room studio today, uh, is Matt Smith. Matt is currently, um, he's gone AWOL somewhere on a train uh, in in London somewhere. Um, but uh, I have uh, actually managed to f- to find someone uh, in the UK who, was, uh, who wants to join me on the show. God knows why he would want to join me on a Friday night. He must have better things to do. So uh, would you please give uh, a, a warm round of applause to uh, the legend that is uh, Neville Bounds. Hi, Carlos. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are. Hope everybody is well. Uh, yes, uh, it was the alternative. I could have been down the pub or <laughs> been on the uh, PTUK show. There's no choice, surely. Oh, no, no. Thank you for, uh, thanks for joining us uh, today and giving up your uh, evening to sort of fill in for Matt while he's, uh, while he's on a train somewhere in, uh, in the UK, just outside London. There we go. There's a wide shot there of the of the, uh, the living room studio today. It's a different uh, part of the uh, house, and uh, this week. Uh, but uh, you have joined us, as I said, for episode 111. It is the 6th of May, and uh, the time has just gone. It's five minutes past eight in the evening. We've started on time. It's uh, it's an absolute first, I think, for the show, Neville. What do you say for starting on time? <laughs> it yes, must be a first. Yes. It must be a first. <laughs> <laughs> it's set the standard for the future. I know, I know. So thanks to everyone in the chat room for uh, joining us. Uh, loads of names in the chat room. We've got uh, all the usual crew in the uh, chat room, as always, from across the globe. And uh, so thank you for all joining us uh, on this uh, on this lovely, sunny and warm. I mean, what's what's going on with the weather, Neville? It's uh, it's. Con, it's it's of, fantastic. It, it was about ten, de- ten days ago or a week ago. We had snow, wasn't it? You probably had that over in your part of the country as well. We did. And yeah. uh, here we are. It's uh, twenty-one, twenty-two degrees. It's very and, pleasant. And the forecast for the weekend's even better. So uh, everyone there, you, yeah. you've got to uh, get your barbecues ready for uh, for the weekend because the weather's going to be fantastic. Um, so we uh, better kick things off, I suppose. Um, Matt, uh, as I said, I'm still waiting to hear from Matt. I've got my uh, trusty mobile phone here. Um, ready to listen out for Matt's call, but uh, he's on his way to a hotel somewhere in London. He's meeting some friends in London for the weekend, um, but he's left me in charge of uh, of everything here. Um, so hopefully I can, uh, well, hopefully I can uh, press the right buttons and, and make the show go without a hitch. Uh, Neville's going to keep an on the chat room for me as well because uh, I'm busy trying to press a thousand buttons here, and I'll do my best to uh, keep an eye on the chat room as well. And while I'm while we're sort of doing the show, right? So we are we're going to uh, give Matt some easy editing to do, and uh, we we're, we're going to start the show as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Neville. Yep, I am. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story then, uh, this one is on the CH Aviation website and uh, the headline is Amazon uh, Inc's um, freight capacity equity deal with Atlas Air. 
So Atlas Air Worldwide Holdings uh, says it has signed a long-term strategic partnership agreement uh, with Amazon, which could see the U.S. online retailer uh, uh, acquiring up to 30% of the freight specialist's total common stock. Uh, under the terms of the deal, Atlas Air and uh, will support Amazon's package deliveries throughout the uh, operation of 20 Boeing 767-300 freighters on a CMI uh, crew maintenance and insurance basis. The converted freighters will then be dry leased uh, capacity uh, from Atlas Titan Aviation Leasing Unit. The dry leases will have a term of 10 years, while the CMI operations will be uh, for seven years, with extension provisions for a total term of 10 years. Operations are expected to begin during the second half of this year and will, have, uh, will reach their full capacity in 2018. The online retailer will also have the option of acquiring a 20% stake in AAWH, valued at uh, 37.5 uh, um, US, uh, million US dollars uh, per, or, or actually no, 37.5 uh, dollars uh, per ordinary share. Uh, the purchase is tied uh, in part to 20 Boeing 767 freighters commencing operations among other conditions and Amazon all has also warrants uh, to acquire up to an additional 10% after assurance of uh, AAWH ordinary shares at the same excess price over a period of seven years. In March, uh, Amazon acquired a 9.99% stake in the Air Transport Services Group, ATSG, for approximately uh, 70 million US dollars and holds the right to acquire an additional 10% stake in the firm between now and 2021. Under that contract, ATSG's ATI Transport International and ABX Air units will operate a total of 2767 freighters for and uh, on behalf of Amazon Fulfillment Services Incorporated on five-year contracts. Now, we, we covered a few, uh, few weeks ago these stories, uh, Neville, about uh, Amazon using, obviously, the, uh, the, the freight service and that. What do you, what's your views on this? I just think it's an, an inevitability, isn't it, with with the services that they've got at the moment. Uh, it's just a natural extension of, of what they're already doing. And as uh, you and Matt were saying the other week, I mean, the delivery service is good enough as it is for the, uh, for the most part. So uh, it's going to be an incredible situation. And of course, they are you know a, a major player now in, in uh, online shopping and, and they have been for a while. So I think it's just going to get uh, the, the network and the hubs are just going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be uh, make things a, a lot more. I mean, Amazon are fast at delivering stuff now. I mean, you can order something online, and it's here uh, the next day, you know, within 24 hours. And uh, it'd be interesting to see just how fast or how, how much faster Amazon can deliver packages and yeah. stuff uh, across the globe. But, yeah, um, incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible. But uh, yeah, no, I think this is, and uh, as I said before, uh, an inevitability of, of the way we uh, do our shopping now, and uh, especially in the three-month run-up to Christmas in particular. You know, that's, that's a really busy time, and uh, they will do very well from it, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, also the, the uh, Boeing fleet as well. Atlas have got the 76 and number the 74-400s as well. Um, always, mm. always good to have the Boeing fleet. I think definitely. Yes, and, yes, yes, yes. So next story is uh, all yours, Neville. Uh, it is, <laughs> and uh, of course, it's the second story. So that means it's a Ryanair story, uh, my, my favourite airline. Uh, not, uh, but uh, yes, Ryanair will open a new base at Prague Airport on October the thirtieth. 
with two aircraft alongside its existing routes to Brussels, Dublin and London. It will also fly from Prague to Milan and Rome. This will bring the total number of weekly flights to over 40. Incredible, actually, isn't that? Dublin flights uh, operate daily and London Stansted will operate twice a day. Uh, the growth is an integral part of our continued expansion plans for both the Czech Republic and Eastern Europe, said Kenny Jacobs. And uh, yeah, that's just uh, uh, amazing the way the, the, the route network uh, has expanded over, over the years, isn't it, uh, for both Ryanair and EasyJet. It's uh, quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Ryanair, I think they've got plans to add a lot more routes over um, the summer as well. Um, but uh, I think we... we touched on this when we had Micah on the show is that uh, Micah quite rightly said they seem to pick all the uh, the airports that are kind of um, ones you've sort of never heard of before in uh, in Europe and sort of throughout Europe Yes, and um, I, th there was a, something on YouTube tonight, actually. I don't know if anybody saw it at all in the chat room. There was a uh, a 48-hour um, period of, of uh, time-lapse thing, if you like, where they showed the Ryanair and EasyJet flights that operate within the European region over a 48-hour period. And it is... A, a maze of stuff absolutely incredible so um yeah uh, and you know whilst i might not like the ryanair product particularly and al although i have learned them both uh, in the past uh, you can't get away from the fact that both of these companies uh, are two major employers uh, in europe and in ireland as well so the uh, the value that they bring to the european economy uh, is extraordinary really isn't it yeah i mean a few years back uh, i flew into bergerac airport um, over in uh, over in France, and um, it was um, quite an experience because the the runway there is very very short, and uh, it, I think it was uh, the seven three sevens and kind of these smaller the a the a three nineteens are kind of the largest aircraft that fly into mm. Bergerac, but um, you know it it was one of those w weird airports that we we went to because it was near near to where we were staying, but it was handy because the flights were so ridiculously cheap flying with Ryanair. Which is yeah. uh, always a, always a thing. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, certainly, if you've got uh, you know a family of two, three, four, five people, you know, you just couldn't do it, uh, it with with the regular airlines, could you? Um, it would just be so expensive. Yeah, exactly, and uh, we'll all continue to use them for forevermore, apart from you, of course, uh, Neville. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so moving on to the next story then on the Travel Mole site, this one. And the headline, Thai Airways flight hit by severe turbulence. Now, this is one that I picked up on early this week, Neville. I don't know if you um, saw this one on the Aviation Herald website. I um, didn't actually know. Couples, no, no, there was, uh, for those of you guys who, who have the app or have this website, the Aviation Herald website uh, run by Simon, fantastic website that is uh, for, for aviation enthusiasts, but it has all the stories on there. Um, this was uh, on there earlier this week with vi uh, videos uh, and also pictures as well taken on board the aircraft. But uh, the story, uh, a Thai Airways flight hit by severe turbulence was left uh, with six people needing hospital treatment. Uh, blood was found on the seats and debris in the aisle after the plane from Jakarta to Bangkok was caught in severe turbulence over Singapore. One passenger and five members of cabin crew were injured. 
the Boeing 777 had 72 passengers and 12 crew members on board. Thai Airways released a statement on their Facebook page confirming that the six people were sent to hospital. Thai Airways President uh, Champorm Jokashde said that the company apologised to the passengers who were involved in the accident and the company has paid for the cost of medical treatment for the passengers and staff injured. Uh, all those uh, who were hurt on the aircraft have returned home from hospital since, uh, since this during the week. But, um, yeah, if you go on to... Uh, onto the Aviation Herald website, you'll see the photos inside the aircraft and it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's quite, but it, I've always said this on the show and I've said it a thousand times before, you know, when we're flying long haul, it doesn't matter if, you know, if I'm if sitting there watching a film uh, in, you know, sitting watching a film in, in the you know, in economy on the uh, seat back screens, I will always have my seatbelt fastened. Um, because you just never know what's going what's around the corner when you're, you know, you're crossing. Yeah, the Atlantic. Uh, certainly. Uh, and you know, I've been in that situation before. Completely calm, uh, cavo cave conditions, uh, and then suddenly there's there's quite quite a not not a big upset by any means, but a uh, bit of a moment. And um, you know that the crew can't see this stuff coming. So um, all you got to do is put your seat belt on and whilst it'll be comfortable uh, usually turbulence is not that long in terms of duration and um, rarely more than moderate uh, but if you've got your seatbelt on you're not going to be going anywhere no no i mean i've, I've seen it plenty of time we had uh, quite severe turbulence on our way back from from um from uh, minneapolis um, back to the UK in February, and that's probably the worst that I've experienced when we flew back with Delta on the uh, 767-400. Um, but, you know, that they did pre-warn us um, before the turbulence kind of got as bad as it did, and they even sat all the flight attendants down as well, stopped the meal service uh, yeah. and everything, you know, and got everyone sitting down um, before, you know, before anything you know, kind of went, which it didn't go wrong. You know, it didn't go wrong, but you know, it, it's quite for my wife. It was quite distressing. Uh, I will say, she's um, she's a, not a bad flyer, but uh, even her cage was uh, definitely rattled. Um, so you've you've had, have you experienced any sort of really bad turbulence at all on on a flight? Yeah, a, a little bit. I think the worst one was when I used to fly to Sweden quite a lot, <clears throat> flying SAS and uh, going from Copenhagen to Norrköping in Sweden uh, a few years ago. It was a uh, MD-87, so a shorter version of the stuff that uh, Captain Jeff flies uh, over at APG. And uh, this is before I worked out where the best places were to sit. And, of course, I was right in the back, uh, <laughs> right next to the engines. And, of course the worst place in the aircraft to be in moderate to heavy turbulence is at the back and it was horrific um, but uh, yeah that was uh, oh, 15 years ago but uh, it, it's quite rare this stuff but at the end of the day all you've got to do is put your seatbelt on and uh, exactly. as I say it, it will be uncomfortable it might make you feel a bit sick or, or whatever but these events usually don't last that long no, no, and, yeah, and quite rightly so. You know, um, Mike has just put in there that they, in the chat room, um, you know, to, to make people feel safe and stuff. What with having the seatbelts, uh, and, and they don't that they it's, Mike has put in there that they don't uh, they don't really inform passengers that seatbelts are truly required at all times. Uh, I think it's just something that I I normally have in my head all the time is to, you know if I'm sitting down in the seat to keep my seatbelt fastened, um, even just loosely. Um, 
because we've seen it in the past where these uh, bad turbulence flights and uh, people are lifted out of the seats and kind of hit their heads in the uh, in the overhead um, overhead bins and stuff, and it, it can be you know uh, quite painful. Yeah, and, and you know the, the crew do their very best to vary the the flight they're at if, if that's a problem or slow the aircraft down a little bit um, but of course it depends on the traffic that there is around them and, uh, and sometimes it's just not possible to do that but um, yeah w when it goes wrong um, it's normally flying around the cabin uh, that, that become a problem and um, if, if, if people are flying around the cabin or hitting their heads on the ceiling that's not where you want to be I don't think and uh, uh, yeah I, I would just know someone in the chat room I can't remember who it was but just I think it was Martin Pip that was saying it's actually you know we're getting to the stage where it could be compulsory to have your seatbelt on throughout the flight uh, unless you're actually getting up so rather than just a, a crew advisory and that may not be a bad if they can't uh, control anything. So it'd be a shame to have to do that, but um, that's where we are currently, I think. So the next story then, uh, Neville, is all yours. Yes, well, <laughs> uh, more uh, PAX <laughs> incidents. Uh, a furious passenger on board a holiday flight from the Canaries sparked off a major alert when he claimed that there was a bomb on board after being refused a drink. The man is reported to have been on a Ryanair flight which took off from Tenerife uh, yesterday evening en route to the Spanish mainland. Spanish newspapers are reporting that he caused a commotion when stewards would not serve him with a beer. Now I can understand that I have to say but uh, you know, there's, there's ways and means of dealing with that. He then claimed that he'd had a bomb which he would detonate leading to a full-scale emergency. Witnesses said that the man was vid visibly agitated. The local newspaper said the man rose from his seat and ran down the aisle shouting, there's a bomb, it's going to explode. No pressure there at all, I'm sure. Several passengers confirmed that the man said, I'm going to detonate a bomb because they won't serve me beer. The pilots contacted the control tower as the plane came into land at Santiago de Compostela. After the warning by the pilots, Spanish airports and air, and air navigation activated the corresponding protocol and moved the aircraft to a remote area of the passenger terminal uh, at the airport of Lavacola, reported the uh, local paper. The incident happened at about 10.25 at night. Landing, the plane, plane was surrounded by the civil guard and fire services and passengers were told to stay in their seats. The man was arrested and the luggage was searched. A spokesman for the airport confirmed that the pilots had activated an alert as a result of an incident on board. The flight landed safely at 9.23 and the alert was deactivated 27 minutes later. A spokesman for Ryanair said on Friday the crew of this flight from Tenerife to Santiago uh, requested police assistance upon landing after a passenger became disruptive in flight and he was subsequently removed and detained by police. We will not tolerate unruly or disruptive behaviour at any time and the safety and comfort of our customers, crew and aircraft is our number one priority, said the airline. This is now a matter for local police. Um, well, you know, if you're, if you're afraid of flying, it doesn't get much worse than this, does it? We're, we're with these sort of people uh, on board and... Um, it's never happened to me, luckily, in the, I don't know, 400 times I've flown probably, but it's bound to one day, isn't it? You're bound to get an incident of some sort. But uh, this this was a big one by uh, by any standards, I think. I know. I mean, if you're on, a, if you're on board any flight anywhere in the world, I think the, the one word you don't use is the B word. Um, I mean, that's, that's going to get you in a whole world of trouble. Yep. 
<laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I've I've never uh, I've never had any um, you know touch wood any bad experiences on flights with things like this happening before. But uh, I mean, God, I mean, there's some people, honestly, Neville, um, they have no sense at all, no common sense anyway. Not with the world, the world in which we live now is uh, very different to what it was kind of 20 years ago um, with aviation. You know, things of security and stuff is uh, is a lot more uh, intense than it was. Um, have you have you been through any of the UK airports recently, uh, Neville? Yes, I was at uh, Terminal Five Heathrow and Edinburgh just last week. Um, all quite how, how uh, he, nice, uh, actually. Because yeah. what I'm doing now, when I'm doing these domestic uh, local flights, I'm tending to take the flights uh, more or less in the middle of the day, so it's not quite as rushed, and the uh, uh, security is a bit more sensible. And it's all domestic, and you know they can see I'm a frequent flyer and this kind of thing. Um, but I was just thinking about these incidents where. I are we just hearing more reporting of it now uh, because of the social media thing and the 24-hour news thing and the shortage of news perhaps sometimes? Maybe this stuff always did go on, but we just didn't get to hear about it 20 years ago because we didn't have the, the kind of media reporting that we now have. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's certainly very disturbing. But fortunately, it, it, if you think about the number of flights, the number of passengers, the number of operations per day, uh, it's pretty rare, but uh, very disturbing and disruptive when it happens, of course. Yeah, it's not good at all. Not good and it's not clever. Next story, moving on. Breaking travel news site, this one. And the headline, Dubai International welcomes 7.2 million passengers in March. Uh, so passenger numbers at Dubai International continue to rise in March, with 7.2 million guests passing through the airport, according to Operate Dubai Airports. Uh, latest monthly traffic report. Passenger numbers at Dubai grew 7.4% to 7,237,509 passengers in March, up uh, in 2016, up from uh, 6,736,929 the uh, previous year, in 2015. Uh, this brings quarter one passenger traffic numbers at Dubai to uh, 20,948,690 an increase of 6.8% compared uh, with that who previously visited the airport in 2015. Uh, passenger aircraft movements totaled 34,318 in March. Wow. Up 4.5% compared uh, to 32,838 in March 2015. During the first quarter of 2016, Dubai handled uh, 100,000 flights, up to 5.4% from the 94,000 handled during the quarter one of 2015. Eastern Europe was the fastest expanding market in terms of percentage growth with 13.5%, followed by the Indian subcontinent at 10.8%, Western Europe at 10.7%, and the GCC at 10.4%. India remained uh, the top destination country in March with a total of 959,238 passengers, followed by Saudi Arabia with 593,459 passengers. And the UK, uh, 45,208 uh, passengers. Uh, London topped the list of uh, destination cities, followed by Doha, Jeddah and Mumbai. Freight volumes handled at Dubai totaled 217,201 tonnes in March. And uh, 2016 up 0.1% um, from the same period last year. 
and the story goes on. I mean, it's, I mean, Dubai is a huge airport. Um, I've flown through quite a few times now, and uh, it's it's a fantastic airport to go to go through. Neville, have you uh, have you been through uh, through Dubai? Yeah, I, I did an exhibition in uh, Dubai. Uh, let me think, two thousand and six, I think it was. I was there for a week. It's my first visit to Dubai, and um, apart from the, the traffic, which was pretty horrific then, but I noticed that it was clearly going to be a very major hub uh, for those people travelling to the Asia Pacific region and uh, the, the the cargo operations there. Everything. It's it's a massive thing now, and uh, with all of the A three eighties, a lot of them operating out of Dubai as well. Uh, the number watering aren't they with the passenger numbers and the, and the cargo tonnage um, but uh, very very uh, nicely run airport and very good uh, very nice and pleasant security I thought but certainly when I was there and also the immigration people uh, very very nice to deal with I think some of us the British airports could learn a little bit from Dubai as well but um, yeah very very uh, very very grown up uh, airport isn't it very yeah good. yeah and they've got uh, some fantastic scenery inside the airport as well I, I know uh, one of the uh, the lounges, departure lounges, where we were, had kind of a, a huge uh, waterfall, fountain kind of thing, and a, and a like kind yeah. of an oasis uh, in the centre, which was uh, quite nice. But uh, no, it's uh, it's it's a it's a great airport. It's really well run, and also Neville. Did you notice it, it, how spotlessly clean and tidy it was inside as well? Oh, it's phenomenal, wasn't it? As I say, <laughs> I, I've not been there for uh, eight years now. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, fantastic. And, uh, just that the whole operation was really well run. And um, yeah, I, I, bearing in mind the, obviously this is before the A380, so we're not quite dealing with the, the number of passengers today, but certainly then, six, seven years ago, uh, it was a very, very well coordinated operation. And uh, you seemed to be able to get anywhere easily. Uh, and yeah, there, there was some queuing here and there, but it was it was no big deal at all. And uh, yeah, they've they've got the format uh, very nice there. I must say, I do like it. Yeah. So next story is all yours, Neville. Yes, actually, just if you don't mind, Carlos. No, we go carry on, on, carry on. Next story. I've just remembered that um, whilst I was flying out of Edinburgh last week, I actually flew over Matty Fab. Uh, oh, no. Literally, because he was <laughs> at the bottom end of the runway uh, doing some car auction business. No and, uh, you know, on the Facebook, it tells you if people are nearby. And uh, it turns out that he was nearby. We, we'd established this the night before, actually. But sadly, <laughs> we, we weren't in the same place at the same time. But, uh, yes, I actually flew over his car auction uh, on, my, on my way back to the throw uh, last week. And I entirely forgot to mention it. So uh, no, he, did, he didn't have a drone or anything uh, in the sky at the time, then. Sorry, what was that? I said no, Matty Fab didn't have one of his uh, one of his drones in the sky or anything at the time when you flew over. Well, I hope not, because uh, I think we were okay. But uh, yes, no, he was he was in in the in the car mode uh, last week, so uh, that was that was quite quite good, I thought. Uh, yes. Anyway, next story. Uh, next this story. Is an airline I've never flown, but I do like them. I must say that they've got a very good uh, model here. And uh, low cost airline Norwegian has launched a new airport transfer booking tool for all UK passengers flying Norwegian. Passengers can now arrange a direct collection and drop-off service upon arrival or departure. From today, this was yesterday, I think, passengers can search over 1,500 suppliers on Norwegian's website to book airport transfer 
transfers to and from Gatwick, Birmingham, Edinburgh and Manchester. Passengers will have the option to travel by taxi, private transfers, chauffeurs, limousines, trains and buses for direct connections to a designated address. Thomas Ramdahl, who's the Chief Commercial Officer at Norwegian, said, Our new transfer service will give leisure and business passengers a fast and secure journey to and from the airport. By offering a door-to-door service, Norwegian is giving passengers even more peace of mind when travelling. As such, we expect our passengers to make use of the new transfer tool, which will enhance their journey from start to finish with Norwegian. Norwegian's new transfer booking tool is a car hire partner car trawler where members of norwegian reward the airline's award-winning loyalty program can also earn cash points which can be used to make cost savings on all flights and i must say uh as earlier i've not flown with them but uh, they're, they're really getting their act together uh, now with the kind of routes that they're flying and the kind of services they're operating and i, I would imagine that the fares are, are pretty competitive more and more of the, uh, these aircraft as well uh, at Gatwick and, and uh, Edinburgh uh, when, I've, when I've been there recently. So, uh, yeah, it's a success story, certainly. Yeah, Norwegian is one of those airlines I always say on the show that uh, I'd, I'd love to fly fly Norwegian. I think one of the flights I'd like to take with them is uh, their Dreamliner service uh, across the states which, uh, which they run, which apparently is supposed to be quite good value for money, Neville. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. But no, and, uh, I was just trying to. Um, I was supposed to be going to Las um, this uh, in June this year, and I was booking the flight a little bit late. And uh, even in the cheap seats, going with uh, BA, uh, they were fourteen and fourteen hundred pounds, and uh, it's just far too expensive now. And uh, so, with people like Norwegian coming in with the long haul ops, uh, I think that they've they've they're going to uh, kick up uh, a bit of a fuss actually. And some of the more traditional airlines are going to have to relook at their pricing models. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, it's um, one of those things. Is like me, uh, Neville. I, I was looking at flights this week, and for uh, back to going back to Oman uh, via Dubai uh, at the end of this year in October. Uh, we've still got we've got friends who live out there, um, so we like to go out and visit them. Um, and uh, the the difference in flights uh, prices between airlines is quite amazing. Um, you went from uh, fourteen or one thousand four hundred pounds with Oman Air um, to uh, flying direct to um, to Oman. Um, BA uh, came in at just over a thousand pounds. That was via um, oh I forget where it was via. It was via uh, it's off the top of my head now. It was via it was via somewhere anyway. I think it was via Dubai. Yeah, I was going to say almost certainly via Dubai. I would have thought. And um, yeah. bizarrely enough, at five hundred and twenty pounds return via Istanbul was uh, Turkish Airlines. Believe mm. it or not, um, yeah, they came in at uh, five hundred five hundred and twenty pounds uh, return. But, but we'd like to say which is virus symbol and both their flights i looked at the flight numbers being the geek i am always looking at the flight numbers when i'm looking at booking flights to see which aircraft operates the route and according to uh yeah the flight tracker websites and stuff that we all we all use uh the Air, turkish airlines use the 787-9 uh, sorry the 737-900 uh for each leg from the uk to istanbul and then from istanbul to oman which is quite surprising i thought neville mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great, isn't it? And um, uh, again, the the range. I think because with with the uh, new generation 
and 7.3, certainly the uh, range that they're getting out of these aircraft, the, the fuel efficiency is, is fantastic, isn't it? So, uh, yes, it, it enables these long routes to, to, to be done now um, for um, sensible money, uh, yeah. by the sounds of it. Yeah, very, very nice. So word to everyone in the, uh, in the chat room and listening to the show, um, always it pays to sit on the internet for a, for, a, for a good few hours to check all the different sites. Uh, don't just rely on the comparison sites because sometimes they can be uh, slightly dearer. But uh, if you go to, uh, go to the Airlines Direct, you can uh, find some quite good deals on flights. And uh, some of them are even cheaper if you, if you choose uh, a time of flying, which is not very nice. Um, the flights are even cheaper, Neville, which I'm sure you've found yourself before. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's certainly if you're prepared to fly at six o'clock in the morning or <laughs> yeah. nine o'clock at night, then uh, there, there, there's deals to be had. I was just looking at the chat room. And it reminded me, Masha was just saying that um, uh, the US have got this big problem at the moment with Norwegian, haven't they, uh, about uh, allowing them yeah. access to uh, to some of their big hub airports because, yeah, it, it, it's a problem for uh, in terms of uh, competition, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how Congress uh, competition's deals with all good. That. Um, competition's good. Mm, yeah, I'll we agree. need we need Absolutely. more between airlines. So moving on then to the next story, and uh, this one is on the Flight Global site, and the headline: uh, Search continues for missing parts from Norway helicopter crash. Now this is how we covered uh, Neville. You may remember in last week's episode we had the video. Um, of the rotor blades and the actual unit uh, in the air in midair. That was uh, one of the videos that was mm. on the news feeds. Um, the story then, Norway's uh, SHT Air Tr Accident Investigation Board is to resume its search for missing components uh, from the Airbus helicopters H-225, which crashed near Bergen on the 29th of April. In a statement, SHT said the main focus of its search will be for parts connected to the main gearbox, and it, this will continue as long as required. Preliminary information uh, contained in an emergency airworthiness directive issued by the European Aviation Agency on the 3rd of May suggested uh, in-flight separation of the main rotor hub from the gearbox uh, or the main gearbox. Uh, investigators have previously ruled out pilot error as a cause. Uh, SHT adds that components uh, so far retrieved have been moved to its facilities in Lillstrom, where they arrived on the 5th of May. Here, the SHT will continue its efforts uh, to sort and analyse both components and other information, it says. Thirteen passengers and crew died in the incident when the CHC helicopter service operated uh, Super Puma Lima November Oscar Juliet Foxtrot came down near Toroy following a flight uh, from an oil platform. Um, just to, I'm going to put that picture up on the screen for those of you in the chat room. Uh, you'll be able to see some of the parts, the wreckage there in uh, in the hangar there, which they've uh, recovered uh, from the sea. Um, so it was a terrible crash. Um, you've uh, you you definitely uh, well it was well it's one of those crashes. I mean, for someone to actually have the footage as well. Neville of mm. uh, of what happened at the crash. Yes, I mean uh, you know I I. I don't really understand rotary operations at all um, because I don't understand uh, the, the flying bit of it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it, it, you know, it should actually screw itself into the ground when it takes 
off. But, um, you know, in these situations, you know, if you have an engine failure at any kind of altitude, you expect to be able to do a, an auto rotation. But uh, if you've lost the blades, uh, there's no chance of that, is there? And um, my colleague that I went to see in Edinburgh last week, actually, a business colleague, uh, he regularly uh, operates out of the uh, oil fields from Aberdeen. And they every, I think it's every six months, they have to do proficiency checks um, in the the local swimming pool uh, to make sure they can get out of a of an aircraft that's crashed and this kind of thing. So the operations across the North Sea are uh, well, there's a lot of them and the safety standards are very good. But of course, the weather typically out there is is pretty horrific. And going over to Norway and and Bergen and Stavanger and, and that part of the world too. Uh, but um, of course, that that failure could have happened at any moment and. Uh, it's one of those things that it is a catastrophic failure with no no out, as it were, because most aircraft operations, whether they're fixed wing or rotary, you know, you've always got a, a bit of a plan B somewhere. But uh, certainly if you've lost the, the, the blades, that's, uh, that's the end of that, isn't it? Yeah, it was uh, it's terrible. Matty Favs just said in the chat room, he was just asking whether anyone's seen the uh, video of the rotor blade spinning round. Uh, we yeah, oh, we, we, yeah, yeah we covered that in uh, like I said we covered it in the last show we had the video on uh, on there but you can see that um, on YouTube I think it's on there but it was uh, quite a dramatic video really you know seeing the rotor blades just just rotating in air um, you know coming down to the ground you know that they had completely separated from you know from the helicopter itself and it uh, for the you know for the passengers on the uh, from on the flight and it was it must have been terrible but um, hopefully they will hopefully try and find out what exactly happened to uh, to the helicopter and, uh, and and put things right for the future. Yes, it's one of those things, isn't it? Aviation accidents are, are rarely the cause of one single item. It's usually a, a, a sequence of events, or the, uh, the Swiss cheese, as we all call it, uh, where a certain number of things come together to cause a failure. But th this was a, a catastrophic failure by, by any standards, wasn't it? Certainly. Yeah. Next story then, uh, Neville, this one is for you. Yes, well, Boeing asks, can the 737 MAX fly with a missing winglet? Hmm. Flying with a missing winglet is now part of the flight test program for the 737 MAX, says Boeing President and General Manager Keith Leverkuhn. The wingtip-mounted devices reduce fuel consumption by cutting down on the swirling vortices linked to the higher-induced drag, they're also susceptible to damage by wayward service trucks. And we've seen a bit of that at a number of airports with uh, trucks and so on uh, going into winglets and, and what have you. The 737 MAX is equipped with a Boeing-designed dual feather <clears throat> winglet, which includes a downward-pointing ventral strake that is even more at risk to accidents on airport ramps and taxiways. It's not rampant, if you'll forgive the pun, Leverkuhn says, but it is happening. Winglet damage is costly annoyance airlines, especially when it occurs at a remote outstation with no maintenance crews. Airworthiness rules dictate that an aircraft with winglet damage cannot uh, carry paying passengers. It is allowed one ferry flight to an airport when it can be repaired. So I guess that's part of the minimum equipment uh, dispatch list, isn't it? To avoid the, that complication on the 737 MAX, Boeing hopes to clear some of the re-engined aircraft to be safe to fly a load of passengers even if some or all of it is missing because of an accident, Leverkuhn says. We're going to test different configurations, he says. We're going to fly it full up on one side, and we're going to take the lower panel off on the other side and go fly it. And then we're going 
the opposite, and then we're going to fly with both out. The tests will be validated, uh, be used to validate a proposed condition on the minimum equipment list for the 737 MAX. The minimum equipment list must be approved by the US Federal uh, Aviation Administration, but is not part of the Part 25 airworthiness certification. Boeing's analysis has already suggested that a missing winglet or winglet panel should not pose a safety risk. But those results be verified in flight tests. Two possible concerns are introducing a flutter condition and causing a change to the stability and control of the aircraft, Leverkuhn adds. Flutter occurs when aerodynamic, inertial and structural forces interact in a way that, in a best-case scenario, produces a buzzing sound. In the worst case, the interactions cause uncontrolled oscillations that rip the structure apart. I'm really not too worried about Flutter, Leverkuhn says, noting the next generation and re-engined 737 MAX share very similar winglet structures. Whilst we've gauged up for the MAX, I wouldn't expect that to drive Flutter. A slightly higher concern is that the impact of a missing winglet on directional control, with the outboard misalignment causing a yawing force. But pre-flight analysis suggests that the stability issue won't be a problem, he says. We can't just pencil with it, he says. How about that for an American expression? We have to go demonstrate it. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? So um, if you've got a missing winglet, uh, it may no longer possibly form part of the minimum equipment list if someone dings it on the ground. So uh, that'll be interesting to see how those uh, tests, um, what results those tests produce. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, we've seen uh, a few accidents in the in the last sort of few months now, where uh, aircraft, or in the last few years, where aircraft have lost um, have lost winglets. I mean, let's remember, not all aircraft used to have winglets. Um, they've um, they've retrofitted uh, winglets onto a lot of older aircraft, and a lot of the older seven six sevens and the seven five sevens have had uh, had these winglets retrofitted onto them. You know, they flew before they had them fitted. They can fly. Um, you know without them on there so but um you know, it's my, my guess is that they're trying to work out what the consequences are of one winglet being damaged mm -hmm. and the sort of asymmetrical forces may be and again it depends on the flying conditions it depends on many things so perhaps they're going to just try it uh, and see see what the result is i think aircraft have flown with a lot worse uh bits missing i think neville is, yes. is the key thing there. So, Air, yes. Aircraft have managed to land and and uh, and take off with a lot uh, lot bigger issues than a, than a winglet. So um, yeah, <laughs> I think that'll be fine. So moving on to the next story, then this one is on the AviationNews.eu site, and the headline: Boeing set to deliver record number of airplanes to Turkish Airlines. Uh, Istanbul and uh, is uh, set to record a uh, record number. Turkish Airlines uh, are set to record a record number of airplanes this year uh, to the uh, to the airline themselves. Uh, in total, the carrier will take delivery of six triple seven three hundred ERs, twenty next generation seven three seven eight hundreds in two thousand and sixteen. My word, that is a lot of Boeing's there. They're going to be their order books must be brimming. I think. Uh, Turkish Airlines is one of the world's uh, ascendant airlines and is an established uh, global network carrier. It has achieved this through various significant investments in its fleet, which now stands at over 311 aircraft and growing, said Ahmet Bolat, Chief Investment and Technology Officer for Turkish Airlines. The delivery of a further 26 Boeing aircraft this year, which form a substantial part of our long-haul and short-haul fleets, are integral to in Turkish's continued growth, and we look forward to introducing 
introducing the new planes on our domestic and international network. The next generation 737 market success has been confirmed by investors who constantly rank it as the most preferred single aisle airplane due to its wide market base, superior efficiency and lowest operating costs in its class. To date, more than 7,000 next, gen uh, 7, next generation 737s have been ordered uh, by the world's leading airlines. And I've just put my hand up there. I have witnessed the, the 7,000th uh, 737 flying in uh, Lanzarote last year. Uh, we are pleased that Turkish Airlines continue to show faith in Boeing's products and services, said Monty Oliver, Vice President of European Sales Boeing Commercial Airplanes. We have a strong relationship with the airline and are honoured that we continue to play a key part in supporting its ambitious growth plans. Turkish Airlines and uh, Boeing share a long history that goes back to 1945 with the arrival of the airline's first DC-3 and C-47 airliners. Turkish Airlines entered the jet age in the late 1960s when the airline began operating DC-9, DC-10 and Boeing 707 aircraft. Over the years, Turkish carriers have also flown the 727-757-MD-80, hello Captain Jeff, and the most modern 737 and 777 aircraft. Uh, Turkish Technic, a prominent subsidiary of the airline, is a world-class maintenance center for Boeing 737 aircraft with certifications from the regulatory authorities throughout the region and beyond. So that's uh, some rather good news, not just for, uh, for Turkish, but also, of, like we said, for, uh, for Boeing, Neville. Yes, uh, and if you think how... Um long the 737 has been in production now uh, in, in its various guises throughout the year that they're getting a lot out of this aircraft i mean i know there's there's been uh, avionics refresh and, uh, and aerodynamic changes and engine improvements and all the rest of it but in in general terms uh, the thing is still the same as, as the original uh, 100 uh, or 200 series um, but um, and also i think turkey where they're based geographically in the world uh, they have can have a very uh, large and mixed kind of fleet as well because of the kind of operations that they do. So no, it's it's great news, isn't it? And uh, nice to see that um, you know that they're doing so well uh, with the Boeing product. Uh, just to let everyone in the chat room know, I've just received uh, a photograph from uh, Matt. Um, here we go. If I can put this on the screen, I don't know whether you'll be able to see that in the chat room there. Um, probably not. If I can get the camera in the right position. Mm, probably not, no. Well, he's actually sent me a photograph from London City Airport, uh, which is rather rather kind of uh, Matt. I was <laughs> At least he's getting his uh, fill of aviation stuff there, even though he can't uh, quite get to his hotel. Uh, but no, back to the uh, back to the story at hand. Um, no, it's uh, it is uh, it's one of those uh, one of those great stories, I think, Neville. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's good. Good news, isn't it? And uh, so often you you hear you know airlines and. Uh, uh, manufacturers going through some really horrific times and um but no it, it's good to see that, that things are on the up there definitely yeah i think every week never we, we cover a story where uh, boeing and airbus have got you know a huge order we covered one um not so long back for airbus and that and uh, with i think it was with delta for the 321 and uh, you know we, every week i think we cover another news story about another airline ordering you know up, upwards of 10 plus aircraft brand new aircraft you know their their you know books must be must be filled to capacity yeah and so if you think about uh, going back uh, well let's say before you were born carlos <clears throat> um <laughs> where 
where uh, aviation and, and travel by air was not necessarily a luxury, but it, it wasn't uh, anywhere near as popular as it is now with, with people being able to take long haul flights, medium haul flights. It's for, for pretty simple money, generally speaking. So the capacity requirements have just gone up and up. And obviously with things like the, uh, the, the 777, the A380, the A350, you know, the, the, the larger capacity aircraft as well. Um, this is making a massive difference. And obviously the more people we can get on a plane, uh, the, the cheaper it is per passenger. So, uh, yeah, and I think this, the theme of this is just going to continue, clearly. Uh, my only regret is that we're doing it at, at uh, 0.8 Mac and, and not uh, Mac 2. But uh, <laughs> there we are. We, we've had that. I don't think we're going to see Mac 2 in my lifetime again somehow. No, so no. Mad. We'll have to do the speed we do. Mike has put in the chat room there, he's, uh, he said quite rightly that the uh, 737 was way before the A320, which is uh, very it correct was, there, Mike, yes, it, was, it was, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, so, uh, yeah. so the next story then is uh, all yours, Neville. Yes, well, it's my favourite airline, so I don't mind talking about it. It's British Airways, and the, they uh, extended... extended extending their pre-order meals to Gatwick long-haul flights. British Airways is rolling out its pre-order meal service for customers on long-haul flights from Gatwick. The service was successfully introduced at Heathrow in 2014, and customers can select their meal between 24 hours and 30 days before their flight using the Manage My Booking on the airline's website. BA has added several new long-haul routes from Gatwick this year, including Costa Rica, New York, Lima, uh, which launched um, yesterday, sorry, today, it launched actually on the 6th, and Cape Town starting on November the 24th. So that's quite good, isn't it? Actually be able to pre-order your meal up to the 30 day for your flight. I hope they keep it in the fridge because uh, it, might, it might go off. Uh, but um, <laughs> I understand uh, that uh, people's meal is quite important, certainly on the long haul stuff, uh, especially if you are vegetarian or vegan or, or whatever it is and try to get, get the right meal for you. Uh, is, is quite a big deal sometimes, and certainly they they can't deal with short notice situations very often. So the, the ability to, to pre-book it at the time of your flight, or certainly to to log into your BA account to do it, is a, a good thing. I think, yeah, definitely. I always ask this because I've never, I, I have to say, I never. I've said this on the show before. Never flown with BA. Um, what's what's their kind of level of service? In your uh, in your own it's, words, Neville. I mean, it, I, I've got to say, and I'm I've got to say straight off, I'm quite biased. It, it is my favourite <laughs> airline by a long way. I've got a lot of points with them now. Quite got a lot of status, but even without that, I I do like the onboard service. Uh, they they're very passenger centric. A lot of people, though, actually, a lot of uh, my colleagues have said that they find their service a bit um, arrogant, a bit stuffy. But um, mm. I I don't I don't find that myself. I've, I've not found that on the short haul or, or long haul ops. And and they they really do go out of their way to try and give you the, the best service they can. Of course, um, in the old days when I used to fly to Edinburgh from Heathrow, you know, 20 years ago, you had a nice cooked breakfast on the plane uh, and all the rest of it. But but now you. Get get you know a small sandwich uh, but uh, in order to reduce the the flight costs you know that they've reduced the um the catering on, on a lot of the short haul services because you're on the plane for 55 minutes or an hour so you don't necessarily need a nice cooked breakfast although i do miss it i must say that was, that was a, <laughs> the highlight of my flight i think as uh, something we're going to have to do i think on this show is we're going to for all the listeners who are in the chat room right now and all those listening through the audio podcast available through iTunes. Um, 
I think we should have a kind of poll, our own top ten. I think of uh, of airlines. So for those uh, for those for those of you listening, we'll we'll put that uh, challenge out to you. If you want to email the uh, the show, tell us who your favourite world airline is uh, and your reason why, and we'll put those all in a in a in a kind of league table, and we'll try and get the kind of top ten together, a kind of PTUK top ten of uh, your favorite airlines so if you want to get together and uh, send in your uh, your answers to the email address podcast at plain talking uk.com uh, tell us who your favorite uh, airline is and your reason why right we'll leave that on the table for everyone <laughs> yeah nice. so the next idea. story uh, is on the travel mole site and uh, the headline on here is um Oh, I skipped the wrong page. There we go, about again. Is court rules airlines are responsible for delays caused by passengers. Really? Airlines could be forced to compensate customers for long delays caused by other passengers following a ruling against Thomas Cook. However, the airline insisted the case didn't set a precedent and didn't mean carriers would have to compensate passengers for the seemingly increasing number of delays caused by unruly or drunken behaviour. Birmingham County Court ordered Thomas Cook to pay a passenger, Maria Edwards, €1,068 after her family of four endured a nine-hour delay to its flight home from Tunisia in 2014. Thomas Cook had initially refused to compensate passengers on the flight, offering only a €5 meal deal voucher per passenger because it claimed the delay was caused by another passenger accidentally damaging an emergency door handle on an earlier flight. The company said the flight was held up while it waited for a replacement parts to be flown from France and had, uh, had, for, uh, had for three years been fighting against Edwards' compensation claim. However, Birmingham County Court ruled the family was entitled to compensation under EU Regulation 261-2004. According to the uh, flight compensation uh, company EU Claim, the court said Thomas Cook had not yet met its obligations to Miss Edwards. The judge ruled that the operational effectiveness of the Thomas Cook's fleet was the sole responsibility of the airline, regardless of whether uh, they directly caused the disruption, it said. Adeline uh, Nordhaven, EU claims UK manager, indicated the ruling might lead to claims for compensation from customers whose flights have been delayed by disruptive passengers. The passenger who caused the delay was not disruptive or unruly, and the damage occurred during the normal use of the aircraft, but it still opens up an interesting debate on where passengers' responsibilities begin and the airline ends for the airline. Uh, for example, a passenger consuming a glass of wine served on board an uh, aircraft would be considered normal use of the aircraft. But what about when one glass turns into three and the passenger becomes intoxicated? This ruling could open the door for a whole new type of compensation. In response to her comments, Thomas Cook released the following statement. We are extremely sorry for any delay. Our main focus is on getting passengers to and from holiday on time. In just three years, our long delays have dropped from 4% to less than 1%, making us one of the highest performing airlines in the industry. The claim of landmark ruling lacks credibility because the county court judgments cannot create legal precedents. We do not believe a comparison can be made between unintentional passenger damage and disruptive passenger claims. We have recently successfully defended a case of similar nature where district judges have ruled that passenger damage is an extraordinary circumstance. We have also successfully defended uh, cases of disruptive passengers. Wow, I mean, that's... 
as far as I'm concerned, you know, if if a if a passenger delays a flight because they're drunk and they're they're unruly and and you know being either violent or or rude against other passengers, and that aircraft is is delayed, in my view, it's uh, it, it's their fault, Neville. Yeah, I think there's there's no uh, no other uh, answer, is there? And you know, I I go to some of these airports, uh, one of which Pilot Pip uh, flies out of actually, oh, wow. and uh, I try not to go there too often because it's not my kind of airport. But as I have mentioned before, I have become a bit of an aviation snob. But um, you see these people tag up um, at six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, two or three pints before they've even started. Now, I, I don't know that many people that uh, drink um, at that time in the morning, um, you know, let alone before you get on the flight. And I think the problem is as well is that the cabin altitude, uh, of course, does have quite a substantial effect on uh, the way that your body deals with alcohol for with a cabin altitude at 8,000 feet, you know, uh, a single scotch perhaps or, you know, malt whiskey uh, is the equivalent of two and a half times that. And uh, it might be okay to have a couple of glasses of wine on the ground, but doing the same thing in the air, the dehydration process and everything associated with it is, is pretty bad. I think the problem is really is are the airlines prepared to deal with this stuff on the ground? around before people board um, now obviously they've got a minimum standard of behavior that they will accept um, but uh, I think they've got to do more and if that means delaying the flight then it means delaying the flight it means getting their bag off because I would prefer to have that situation dealt with at the gate or before the planes push back uh, rather than trying to deal with it with all the diversion and everything else and of course the I'd be interested to know what the real cost is but I would imagine the cost of a, an in-flight diversion um, is mm. substantial, particularly if you are putting the packs up in the hotels and all the transportation stuff that goes with it. So um, I do understand that it's probably difficult to do, but I think people have got to do more uh, to ensure that uh, the, the fair-paying public are in a sensible condition before they get on the plane, and also when they're on the plane, um, to have uh, moderate amounts of alcohol and uh, and no more than that. Now, that's a bit of a glib statement, and I fully concede it's pretty difficult to, to police that. Uh, but uh, I, I think more needs to be done, certainly. Yeah, it's. I mean, I've always had, um, you know, when I've been flying before, we've flown early morning flights, I've, I've kind of had a, had a, a wee uh, drop of scotch before I fly. Um, that's purely just because, you know, it's the start of the holiday. I have one, and that's it. Uh, you know, when I'm on board the aircraft, I uh, stick to the orange juice and uh, and water and fresh water bottled water that the uh, the airlines normally supply on long haul. They ask you to you know drink plenty of fluids when you're flying. Um, but um, I I don't know how quite how I'd feel if I you know on board an aircraft with um you know with an unruly bunch or single person of passengers. I think it would kind of spoil the uh, the whole flying experience. I don't quite know how I'd take that, Neville. It does, doesn't it? And of course, you know, going back to the situation we've spoken about before uh, with people that aren't so keen on flying, you know, my other half, uh, as I've said uh, in pre on a previous occasion, you know, is just not keen on flying at all. And so I try and make the experience the, the best I can for her. Um, but inevitably, if, if something kicks off uh, on, on the flight, that's entirely out of my control. And I, I just hope and trust that the... Uh, 
the crew are able to do something about it. But um, yeah, it, it, this is becoming more and more of a problem, certainly with the lower cost airlines and certainly with the, you know, the, the, the stag parties that you see going to Amsterdam and Prague, particularly from the UK. I've got to say, I think the, the British are probably the worst uh, examples of how to behave on an aircraft after some drink uh, compared to a lot of our other European colleagues. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, there's, there's got to be a, a serious clampdown because uh, this kind of behaviour uh, just can't be tolerated. Yeah, Matty Fab's quite rightly put in the chat room that he'd be uh, fuming if a uh, drunken party started up uh, on the aircraft while he was there with his, uh, his uh, you know, children and stuff. He'd be not very happy at all. Very true indeed. Um, yeah. The chat room is going uh, going crazy at the moment talking about this. It'd be interesting to actually to ask uh, Neville if we get a chance to ask uh, Captain Al, because obviously Al, being um, a, you know a commercial pilot uh, with a quite a large UK airline, Royal Jet, um, just if he has kind of a rough idea of quite how much a delay like this uh, costs uh, an airline, you know, not just for fuel, but for all the other bits and pieces involved. Well, well imagine if it was a multi-sector day. Imagine this started at the beginning of the day. And, uh, of course, you know, what, we know what the turnaround times are like. These days they, they vary from, you know, 25 minutes to an hour or more maybe. And just think of the knock-on effect that that has if the aircraft is out of position or has to divert or the crew go out of hours. I mean, you know, you imagine that kind of scenario as well where you've got a um you've got a crew that can't fly the perhaps the final sector of the day because they've they've picked up a delay because of an unruly passenger at the start so yeah you, you could get the calculator out and uh, uh, and the the sums of money involved are, are well into you know, uh, tens of thousands of pounds or dollars or almost uh, any currency you like really because uh, it's the, it's a consequential knock-on effect and the aircraft being out of position uh, and crew being out of position uh, potentially as well i think yeah, David's just uh, sent us a message on Facebook and stuff about stag dues, but uh, they 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 are the uh, not always, but they normally gen generally tend to be the uh, the troublesome parties when it comes to uh, to to rowdy people on flights. I think these stag dues and the hen the hen parties stuff because women can do be just as bad as men. <laughs> oh just, yes, I, I, I'm not say. reserving this entirely for us chaps, and uh, I have seen situations before which have been there. Uh, and of course, the, the the problem with it is, if it's just one person that's drunk on a flight, then you think, well, that's quite actually easy to deal with. But if you've got multiple people, uh, that's when it is a problem. And let's face it, on a seven three seven, what you've got four cabin crew, something like that. Um, that's not a lot of people to, to deal with un, unruly situations. It must be uh, for them. It must be quite intimidating, I would imagine, as well. So the last news story is all for you, Neville. Yes, this is uh, Transavia Airlines from uh, Amsterdam. Uh, they've announced that it will enter the German domestic market with 12 weekly flights between Munich and uh, Berlin-Schoenfeld uh, beginning later this month. Effective from May the 30th, the Air France KLM Royal Dutch Airline budget subsidiary will ply the route twice daily on weekdays and daily on weekends. The low-cost carrier will be the only carrier to service the routes with all other Berlin-Munich traffic currently using Berlin-Tegel. Uh, 
Though Schoenfeld is currently a major hub for rivals EasyJet and Ryanair, neither of the airlines has developed a significant German network out of the East Berlin Gateway. In fact, the Swiss Aviation Route database indicates that Ryanair and German Wings are the only operator to serve other domestic cities from the airfield. Both serve Cologne-Bonn, whilst German Wings also serves Stuttgart. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? So we've got a, a, a Dutch carrier serving uh, entirely a, a, a German market. So uh, a bit like Ryanair have, have done uh, when they're serving uh, non-domestic markets for themselves. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see how that's um, how that's building. Uh, actually, Transavia Airlines, they, it's quite a big operation now. So they've got 41 aircraft, 89 destinations, 169 routes and 175 uh, daily flights, and they're based at uh, Amsterdam Schiphol. Yeah, what they, what their fleet consists of, uh, Neville? Do you have uh, any... Looks like 73... I'm just looking at Say that they look the picture like the there. Looks like 7s uh, or 800s. 700s or yeah. 800s, by the looks of it. There's yeah, 737, 800s, the picture I'm looking at. So I don't mm. know if the entire fleet is uh, Boeing. Boeing or whether there are others as well. No, good on them. They're, uh, well, they're an airline that I've... I've track flying over here over the east coast of england where we are here at the moment uh quite a bit using the uh, you know the the radar apps and stuff on the on the phone but uh no, quite a popular airline even with uh, you know with all those routes as well 169 routes so they're doing quite well um but yeah that's one of those airlines i think that uh, myla should know really well obviously uh in amsterdam i expect uh no doubt myla's probably flown with uh, transavia i'd imagine she'll probably say something mm -hmm. in the chat room in the moment uh, so um, that is uh, the where we bring the end of the uh, commercial news segment to a close. We got there. Uh, we got the first segment done. Wee! <laughs> we got away with it. We That's got away with it. We got away with it. Matt uh, Matt has actually sent me a message. He is um, he's actually uh, near his right near his hotel now. He's very very close to London City Airport where he's staying. I Ooh. think he's actually sent okay. me. He's actually sent me a video on here of uh, of a plane coming into land at London City Airport in uh, in the, which is quite good. I'll have to look at that one uh, during uh, during the. We're gonna have a shortish, a kind of short break. Uh, to let uh, to, well to let uh, Neville grab a, a cup of tea, I think. Um, so uh, we are gonna have a short break and we're gonna come back. We've got some military news. And, uh, and I think we'll have, we'll have a little chat, I think, to sort of round a show off, Neville. How do you fancy that? Yeah, nice. Look, look forward to that, Carlos. Fantastic, yeah. Right, so we, uh, we're going to have a short break, and we're going to come back to you right after this. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Plain Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening.
I'm back. Here we go. I'm back on or on on the show as always. Oh blimey, it's been a been a rather interesting uh, first half of the show, I will say. Uh, without Matt being here, um, like I said, Matt uh, Matt has gone to London for the weekend, and uh, he has left me in charge of everything here in the studio, uh, including all the buttons and stuff that he normally presses. So hopefully, for those of you here in the chat room in the uh, world of YouTube, hopefully everything is uh, is working and sounding okay. If not, uh, if you could send your complaints, please to. Uh, Matt uh, and uh, Smith at uh, Plain Talking. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say. Opera yes, sir, actually, you won't have any um, oh. funny business. You know. No. Oh, hello, Neville. You've had uh, a quick, uh, quick uh, tea break. Uh, comfort break. Yes. Comfort break. Yes. That's yes. It. Good. Good. So we have got uh, some military news to bring to you. So uh, if you're ready, Neville. Yeah, absolutely. Off we go. Let's go. Hope you all enjoyed those new uh, segment intros that Matt's been very busy doing this last week. He's been uh, ever such a busy chap. So the first uh, story for the military news segment this weekend, this is on Flight Global site. And the headline uh, is, uh, well, it's a picture story, but the uh, Royal Australian Air Force A330 MRTT achieves C-17A milestone. So the Royal Australian Air Force has conducted air-to-air -air refuelling trials between its two largest aircraft types, the Airbus Military A330 multi-role tanker transport and the Boeing C-17A strategic airlifter. The work took place off the coast of Queensland and involved several contacts between the A330 MRTT's boom and the C-17A's refuelling receptacle. This marks the first time the RAAF-operated A330 MRTT has refuelled an RAAF-operated C-17A. Uh, the uh, testing program is not just to benefit the RAAF, but uh, through close cooperation with the United States Air Force Flight Test System, this clear, uh, clearance uh, activity will also prove meaningful contribution across allied test and evaluation of activities, says uh, RAAF's Wing Commander Daniel Rich. The Australian sortie allows, uh, follows an earlier mission in uh, February that saw an RAAF A330 MRTT designated KC-30A in RAAF service refuel a USAF C-17 over Edwards Air Force Base in California. During that sortie, the tanker delivered 6,800 kilos of fuel to the C-17. The five-hour sortie in February saw 39 contacts made between the two jets using the boom. The RAAF operates uh, five KC-30As, uh, with two more joining in 2017, and it also has eight C-17As. So there we go. Uh, you've obviously are you much of a, ta a lover of tankers, uh, Neville? Well, I, yes, I, I don't fully understand how it all works, but um, yeah, anything with you know refueling capabilities are a pretty serious piece of hardware, isn't it? And uh, also the the skill. And the training to uh, to do this stuff must be extraordinary. And um, yes, of course, the 
if it goes wrong, that's quite catastrophic. But uh, yeah, it, it really does impress me the way these uh, these guys uh, and girls get refueled from the tankers, and they're, they're obviously putting a lot more effort into the into this area, look for long range operations because they in, in order to get the stuff across across the world. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, quite a sight, isn't it? Yeah, just putting your photos up there on uh, on the YouTube page for. For all the guys and girls in the uh, YouTube chat room, you can see uh, some of the photos that uh, me and Neville can see in front of us there of the refueling going ahead. It always amazes me, Neville, me and Matt were talking about this, I think, last week, uh, that, you know, you've got two quite huge aircraft, both producing, you know, fairly good sizable sort of wake, you know, turbulence behind them. Um, but they're, you know, they kind of seem to get along with it okay. Yeah, I, I would imagine, and again, this is me talking from an amateur perspective, I would actually imagine that the wake vortices, that the, the way all this stuff uh, comes off the, the, the wings, probably actually affects things a, bit, a little bit further behind of, of where the aircraft that's being refuelled is. So there's obviously quite a lot of um skill in working out you know or from a, an airspeed point of view to get it spot on as well and of course you don't want to be doing that kind of thing in in turbulent conditions either so the, the so the the, the meteorolog meteorological conditions conditions have got to be uh, right as well but uh, yeah it's, it's always a spectacular sight isn't it to see uh, aircraft refueling like that so the next story is uh, all for you neville Yes, well, Amazon uh, is promoting the establishment of a network of unmanned air vehicle control zones to ensure that its anticipated prime air delivery service will integrate smoothly into national airspace. Speaking at the uh, AUVIS Exponential Show in New Orleans on the 2nd of May, Gur Kamichi, uh, Vice President of Prime Air, stressed that the movement needs to be made on airspace integration methods now so that the services are ready to be carried out when the necessary authorizations are granted. Kimchi referred to the idea that execution of the airspace control would have to be carried out by federated traffic controllers, which would consist of different uh, uh, overlapping networks of UAV operators communicating with each other and de-conflicting, just as cellular service operators communicate to ensure that different network phones can connect. He said that NASA had been a shining example of engineering initiative through its unmanned traffic management effort, whilst the Joint Authorities for Rulemaking on Unmanned Systems Working Group had been useful in providing integration oversight. Kimchi says that the model needs to be established now, even as the delivery service is in its infancy, to ensure that there are no issues when these operations begin, adding that airspace access rules need to be communicated effectively to ensure that everybody is aware of movements in the air. Amazon proposes that a no-fly zone be established at four to 500 feet to allow for UAVs to travel to delivery destinations. Real-time no-fly zones can also be imposed on UAV operations to allow for manned operations as necessary and the systems can simply wait until it is safe to enter the zone again. The only way that this will work is if everybody speaks the same language, he said. We can make this happen. He stressed the importance of safe, secure and interoperable operations and warned that the pace of how this will move should not be set on current standards because it is expected to grow rapidly in the next five years. Meanwhile, startup Uvionics uh, is preparing to launch its NSKY UAV delivery service, which it claims will be provided for for just 
$3 per delivery in the next year. It's designed a clean sheet coaxial vertical takeoff and landing aircraft that will be able to deliver 1.2 pound payloads and is targeting the convenience market to include the delivery of hot drinks and fast food. So I'm laughing. I just can't <laughs> imagine that happening, but we'll come back to that in a minute, I'm sure. Our primary aim is to begin by delivering small parcels. Boris Iskrev. Uh, chief executive of the company tells Flight Global. Uvionics is aiming to deliver within a 12-mile radius and is moving away from the need for warehouse dispatch by offering the system to retailers to operate in-house but be controlled remotely by the Uvionics. Regarding airspace integration efforts, the company is optimistic that the challenges will be overcome by the US FAA dream on to allow for such operations we have seen a much more aggressive approach from the faa with regard to integration recently uh, iskrev uh, president of the company adds the system has a number of monitoring and redundancy systems integrated to ensure safety including a parachute recovery system if the battery fails um, wow. Do you, you, do you, you honestly you, you think, think you couldn't make it up, could you? I know. Do you, do you honestly think, Neville, that this is going to be, you know, a massive global reality that we're going to have drones delivering our, you know, packages from Amazon? I, th I think that the desire is is reasonable, but in, in the practicality of it all, uh, you know, well, we've seen the trouble we've got with drones today, you know, uh, and these things buzzing around but on people's doorsteps and oh, I, I, it's um i think the thing is that if if amazon and uh, all these sort of large logistics and delivery companies were doing a bad job then you might say actually we've, we've, we've got to find a way of getting stuff faster to the doorstep and there might well be an argument to have here about this but i i, I don't get it i just don't understand it and um if we can't even speak the right or, or the single language of uh, english in aviation operations um from a human point of view uh what uh, what what chance have we got with this stuff and uh uh i i i may be proved wrong but uh, as i see it it's um um it's going to be very difficult to integrate all this stuff properly but clearly there are people and the faa um and maybe the caa here in uh, the uk and uh, and the operations in europe as well maybe there is a desire to make this stuff work but um i will be interested to see whether it really does or not I mean, are they going to have some sort of kind of centre somewhere where all these people are sitting in these little, um, you know, huts controlling all these hundreds and thousands of drones delivering parcels all around the UK? You know, kind of like the thing you can kind of see on the on the films and stuff. Um, you know, the drone operators sitting in these in these rooms and stuff. Are they, I mean, are they going to have? Do you think they'll have some all these a room full of people controlling? Or do I think they'll be run by GPS? Well. <clears throat> I, all you have to do is, is look at, um, let's think of a comparable industry. Let's say my industry, the, the, the audio, visual and broadcast industry and the media industry. The compact disc came out 
1981, I think it was. And uh, we all said, oh, it's fantastic, you know. But the, uh, but if we thought about that probably five years beforehand, we thought, well, that, that's never going to work. They're never going to get, you know, uh, 80 or 90 minutes of music on this little disc, uh, which will be, you know, uh, available for, for people to use at home. Uh, and actually within 20 years, we've actually gone to the end of the, the compact disc's life. I mean, when was the last CD you bought? Uh, Carlos, for example, uh, we're downloading stuff from the internet, <laughs> we're sticking things on USB sticks. So, whilst on the one hand I'm saying this just sounds and looks ridiculous, um, if we fast forward 10 years maybe, um, th this stuff could really be happening for real. But uh, in terms of how it's controlled uh, and how they're going to get. Um, uh, or, or, or mitigate the risk of collision. I mean, with people, animals, cars. Um, it, it's, I don't know. Um, I, it doesn't feel right, but I stand to be surprised and delighted if it works. <laughs> Watch this space, everyone. Yes. Or, or follow the UAV Digest. One of the one of the two. You know, you, you can go on there and listen to uh, you know to Max and David talk about UAVs. And they'll they'll probably have the inside scoop before uh, before we ever hear about it. Well, actually, I mean, yeah. To be fair to these guys, these are serious players, and they know far more about it than I do. And there, there is clearly a desire to to make this this stuff work. And there's a lot of uh, skilled professionals, um, you know, trying to make it happen as well. So uh, I shouldn't shouldn't from those guys but uh, yeah we will see won't we so the next story on the military uh, segment is on flight globals website and the headline kc46 team working fixes to complete c17 demo in late may now uh, those of you who listened to the last couple of shows will know we've covered this story uh, a few times about the the issues that they're having uh, with the k46 and the refueling uh, the uh, the loot the boom loads uh, Boeing is developing a both uh, hardware and software fix for its KC-46A Pegasus aerial refueling system that hopes will resolve the boom axial loads issue that has so far prevented it refueling, uh, the refueling on the C-17A. A spokesman for the U.S. Air Force's tanker directorate at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio, confirmed this week that the flight testing being conducted will help determine whether the fault can be resolved with a software tweak or if Boeing must, produce, uh, must proceed with uh, a potentially more finicky hardware change. Uh, the planned date for a milestone C decision from the Pentagon, which would release funding for the first two production lots totaling 19 aircraft, has already slipped from April to May and is now scheduled for June at the earliest as the KC-46 team figures out how to refuel the service's heavy Globemaster III strategic transport aircraft, of which there are approximately 213 in active service, my word. Of uh, note, the Royal Australian Air Force recently certified its military A330 multi-role tanker transport, which we've just covered, uh, designated KC-30 to refuel the C-17 airlifter. Boeing is flight testing a software fix uh, to the boom axial loads issue now, says uh, the Air Force. Uh, once that is fully uh, fix is fully verified in flight, the C-17 and A-10 refueling demonstrations will begin, which we anticipate to occur late in May. The service confirms that Boeing has been working with hardware and software solutions in parallel as uh, bet a both ways case of one correction does not work out. The USAF and Boeing have so far have not been uh, willing to discuss the fault 
in any significant deal or detail. But uh, they have said that the turbulence generated by two large aircraft flying together triggered a safety warning about higher than expected loading. The aircraft is equipped with a centerline hose and drogue system that it can also carry two optional wingtip mounted aerial refueling pods. The boom is the tanker's primary and highest capacity fuel transfer point for heavy bombers, cargo airplanes and fighter attack jets. The program team has already demonstrated both uh, demonstrated boom functionality with the Lockheed Martin F-16, and it doesn't expect any difficulty topping up the Fairchild Republic A-10 Warthog. Boeing has already racked up $1.5 billion in pre-tax char uh, tax charges uh, relating to the KC-46 program. Since the U.S. government's uh, obligation under the fixed-price development contract is capped at $4.9 billion, Boeing announced its third $243 million pre-tax charge during uh, the 27th of April earnings call. Wow, that's a big, big mouthful. There we go. Uh, so following on then, they're obviously going to try and fix this issue um, with, uh, with the KC-46. Uh, the KC-46 being based on uh, the Boeing 767, Neville. Mm, yes. I think when there's um, when there's things to be fixed like this, it's always uh, uh, a difficult situation because the, these with the internet and everything, you know, the stuff becomes public very quickly, and uh, obviously the the manufacturers, Air Force, want to want to minimise, I would imagine, some of the information that that gets out there. So um, yeah, it, the, the, there's always things going on, and when there's lots of software and firmware going on, isn't there? So uh, and you know the, these things happen, don't they? And, and they they need attention. But uh, yeah, I think I think that there's always a, a good uh, a good plan to to, to fix stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a question of, of how, how they go about it, I guess. So the last story then, all yours, Neville. And this is another rotary story. Uh, Sikorsky will roll out its first optionally piloted UH-60A Black Hawk later this year, ahead of a full flight campaign that will commence in 2017. Unlike the fly-by-wire UH-60MU demonstrator aircraft that's currently loaded with the Lockheed Martin-owned helicopter manufacturer's matrix autonomy software the vintage aimel has a mechanical mixer that must be swapped with an electrically electrically controlled mechanism amongst several other flight control changes sikorsky picks picked the a model specifically to prove that it could automate even the oldest vietnam war era helicopters and even fixed wing aircraft eventually these computer aircraft will be capable of switching between two one or zero pilots depending on how super dangerous or super boring the mission is vice president of sikorsky innovation chris van buten told flight global global at the uh, auv si exponential exhibit uh, ex exhibition in uh, new orleans this week he says sikorsky can quite elegantly replace the necessary necessary flight controls and part of the exercise of converting the A model is to measure how long it takes and how much it will cost. Van Buten believes that it will be a relatively inexpensive and quick process and he hopes that the US Defense Department will request at least one upgrade to independently validate those data points. In addition to the UH-60MU, Sikorsky's matrix technology is installed on the group's fly-by-wire enabled S-76 Sikorsky Autonomy Research Aircraft, SARA. Van Buten says that the Black Hawk conversion will be a pathfinder for how to drive autonomy into all UH 
60 variants, as well as Sikorsky's mainstay commercial products, the S76 and S92. The Lockheed division is also exploring applications for fixed-wing aircraft through its involvement with the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency's Aircrew Labor In-Cockpit Automation System. Yes, is the uh, acronym for that program. <laughs> the, uh, that work is ongoing at Sikorsky's Systems Integration Laboratory in Stratford, Connecticut. Van Buten says that uh, uh, Sikorsky's primary focus will be, always be vertical takeoff and landing platforms weighing more than 4.5 tonnes or 10,000 pounds or so and not smaller unmanned air vehicles. That puts safety and redundancy at a premium because these aircraft are not expendable like small UAVs. The company has been discussing possible roadmaps for the integration of optionally piloted rotorcraft with various communities within the Defence Corporation, but there's also a significant pull from the commercial sector, particularly regarding the S-92. It's been fascinating that the commercial interest has been just as intense as the military interest, so we're running the two in parallel, he says. They've seen it in the S-76, and they've seen it in some Blackhawk demonstrations. They've been able to see it in a flight simulator, and now we're really implementing it in an optionally piloted Blackhawk prototype. Since the merger with Lockheed, Sikorsky Innovations and Skunk Works in Palm... California have got together to swap ideas and technology plans. Lockheed developed the unmanned Carmen K-Max cargo helicopter for the US Marine Corps, so there's plenty of overlap with Sikorsky's Matrix flight control technology. The Marines' two K-Max helicopters have been retained in a flyaway status and are due to move from Lockheed's hangar to the Yuma Proving Ground in Arizona later this year for capability demonstrations. So we're now seeing... Uh, rotary aircraft with optional pilots. That's, I mean, <laughs> you know, you associate a, a UAV as being something sm reasonably small, you know, that, that's controlled, you know, from the ground as such. But, you know, this is, this is a UH-60, Neville. This, mm. this isn't just a small, tiny rotorcraft that's going to be controlled, you know, autonomously. Uh uh, again, it's a bit like the uh, the drone delivery to your house. I don't get it. I I, I don't. Um, now, obviously, these are designed for going into you know big military you know war zones and, and operations and, and that sort of thing. But man, that that's going to take some technology to do that, isn't it? Um, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll follow it with great interest. But uh, yeah, I, I really didn't realise that this stuff was, was really happening. No, I just no. thought it was a, a pipe dream, really. No, and that, well, now we know. I mean, that, that's uh, one of those stories we covered quite a few episodes back now is a, a kind of sm a lot smaller, kind of, the, I think it was a Bell product that they'd um, designed as a, as a UAV kind of helicopter on board a ship. I think it was on board a ship. I can't remember. I'll have to look back at the um, mm -hmm. records. But yeah. um, that was the last military story uh, for the segment. We, we've just got uh, one that we actually got sent through to us this week as an email. Um, <clears throat> Neville, you should have this uh, in your inbox. Uh, it's, a, yes. it's a new story that was sent to us uh, by one of our listeners, William Hardcastle. And uh, the, uh, the story was actually on the Independent, and the headline was, What Happens to Your Body During a Flight? And um, it, uh, it, it kind of says, it, uh, if you've ever flown on a plane before, the chances are you've suffered a few unpleasant symptoms. Uh, new infographics shows exactly how cramped conditions and constant pressure can create an environment that leads to dehydration and other illnesses. 
and it was compiled by uh, comparetravelinsurance.com.au. It claims that catching a cold is over 100 times more likely when a person is travelling by plane due to recirculated cabin air. And there's a diagram. Uh, I mean, Neville, you've got that in front of you there. There's a diagram. What happens to your body after boarding a flight? One of these is uh, that you won't be able to hear or taste. It says here that a third of your taste buds are numbed when flying at high altitudes. Dryness and air pressure changes can affect your ears, sinuses and tastes. Any of those um, on that table? interest you Neville? Uh, well uh, most of them actually but uh, obviously it affects different people in different ways doesn't it and um, I'm just wondering and we mentioned this before I think didn't we about uh, the more modern uh, aircraft uh, that are made out of composite materials with the ability to reduce uh, the Delta P yes we've, we've got Delta it Delta P the, yeah <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, and uh, reducing cabin altitude to 6,000 or 6,500 feet, something like that. Just wondering how this is going to improve things. Um, But, um, yeah, there's a lot going on there, isn't there? And um, I I think the in in the ideal world, really, you know, uh, just drinking as much water as you can and trying to keep, you know, uh, keep some movement going. Um, Mm. And um, there was the case, I think, just uh, a fortnight ago of the one of the ex-Concorde pilots that had taken a a long-haul flight back from, I think it was Thailand, and uh, he had suffered from a a DVT uh, and sadly um, um, succumbed to it as well. So, um, you know, when we're in these sort of fairly cramped conditions as well, um, you've got to try and keep moving around the cabin and you've got to try and keep uh, hydrated if you can but uh, yeah it, it always affects people in different ways and um, yeah certainly one of one of these Neville on here I'm just reading it says uh, you're exposed to cosmic radiation during a seven-hour flight from New York to London you're exposed to the same dose of radiation as an x-ray Mm, yes I, I'm not quite sure about that this was discussed on uh, last weeks uh, well this week's actually APG uh, a little bit about um, and Captain Dick was telling us about how uh, different doses of radiation affect people and on, on the New York London route for example it, it's not too bad but uh, when you get near the, the, the poles certainly if you're going to Tokyo for example from London you're going across the uh, the northerly routes then there is a, 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 a larger dose of radiation there and um, I think a lot of the crews uh, are, are measured for uh, the amount of radiation that they take. And if they are constantly on those routes, they're actually taken off those routes occasionally and put onto some other uh, routes for a short time. And in fact, Concorde, uh, when that was flying at 60,000 feet, that did actually have a, a radiation meter. Um, and uh, if the um, if the ozone layer got, got too thin and uh, they went above a certain level, uh, that actually re- reduced uh, altitude attitude slightly in order to put, put more protection above them but um, yeah I, I think that there is always going to be the, this situation there and it depends on in whereabouts whereabouts in the world you're flying as well as to yeah. regarding the radiation doses because we've covered no end of stories in, in the past uh, Neville or recently as well where they're you know talking about flights being uh, even longer having even longer haul flights you know going past sort of 23 or 22 23 hours in, in, in duration so this could be uh, even more of an issue, but uh, you know they've done their tests. I'm sure that we're all we're all safe as houses when we're flying. <laughs> yes, you you said last time, didn't you, that when we chatted, that uh, you 
you would relish the 17 18 hour flights the the longer the better i did exactly i absolutely love i i I don't know i love flying i absolutely love flying i i don't there's never been a flight i've got on which i've hated um there's been one i i wasn't too happy in but that was a uh, tu134a um, with a russian airline and um you know quite right i was a bit worried with that flight but uh, apart from that, you know, I've I've no I've got no worries about flying, and um, hopefully Matt will um, feel that way soon as well. Hopefully, um, just one last message as well uh, from one of the listeners uh, who sent us an, an email as well this week. Um, it's uh, one of our listeners, uh, Jim Sivia, who is studying his uh, ATPL at the moment uh, in Norfolk, which is in East Anglia here. Um, he's studying his ATPL at the moment and he's asked us to ask if anyone uh, listening to the show uh, who's based in and around Norfolk, Suffolk, the Norfolk, Suffolk area, East Anglia, who's also studying their ATPL, if they could get in contact with us because uh, he, he wants a study buddy, which is a good idea to have someone to study your ATPL with. So if anyone's uh, listening to the show who's uh, also studying their ATPL and lives in the uh, in the Norfolk, Suffolk, East Anglia area and would like to have a study buddy, then uh, get in contact with the show. The u- usual email address uh, applies. That's a great idea, isn't it, Carlos, actually? That's, yeah. that, that's a, a, because when you're studying for this stuff, and I haven't studied for anything for, for, for many years, but uh, you do feel terribly isolated and alone. If you, if you can actually work with somebody else, um, to, you know, bounce ideas off each other and just help each other, must be must really help, I think. Yeah, definitely. We have got, hopefully, uh, Matt is, uh, is going uh, to have a quick call in Whilst uh, Matt, uh, Carlos is just doing that, I'd just like to say to everybody in the chat room, thank you very much for, for tuning in today. And it is quite hard work, uh, I must say. Um, you know, I'm normally the one that sends all these uh, comments into the uh, uh, presenters of other shows as well. And it is uh, quite a big distraction uh, to uh, to look at the chat room <laughs> and try and concentrate on what you're doing at the same time. But, uh, of course, we're, we're guys, so, so we can multitask, can't we? So that's good. Exactly. I'm just... So welcome on to the show then. We've managed to get hold of him. He's here. And uh, good <laughs> evening to Matt. Hello, hello. How is everyone? Oh, we're all very well, thank you. Yeah, we're very well. We're. Well, um... I, I, I've been sort of dipping in and out, as I say, because I was watching as best I could on the train, but because going in and out on tunnels and stuff, the, the signal will keep disappearing. So, uh, the other, what you did do very well without me, Carl. I'm very proud don't, of you. Please very don't say that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, uh, very proud of you. Do, Who do, would have thought that you could finally be left alone <laughs> In the studio, <laughs> all on your own. This is brilliant. So this means I can go anywhere I like in the world now, and you can. You can no, 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 it really doesn't. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, I, Doctor Steph says hello. By the way, everyone in the chat room saying Steph. hello, Doctor Steph. Everyone in the chat room saying hello, and uh, and if you go away again, Matt, I shall, I shall, um, yeah. <laughs> Right. Okay. You're having one or two nervous breakdowns, then, yeah. Yeah. So we we got the photos you sent through uh, anyway through of uh, you were near London City Airport. I'm guessing there. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, but basically, the, the whole, I'm, I'm staying at uh, the travel lodge that is basically London City Airport. And it is um, literally right on the fight, flight path. That video, um, that video I sent you was by the beer garden. It was in oh, the beer okay. garden, actually, because we'd literally just arrived. Um, but we'll play that video out properly next week because uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring the high-definition version. We'll play it out next week. But um, 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I, I thought Heathrow was busy, but seriously, there's planes coming in like every minute. Um, landing here at London City, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, oh, actually, you, you're probably you're probably actually closer, Matt, than I've ever been to London City yeah. Airport. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, no, it's right, right. It, as I say, we're right on the flight path, but uh, yeah, so it's it, no, it, it, it's great. It's just, uh, it's, uh, no, well, thanks to Neville A for sort of stepping in at the last minute, and uh, also it's just it's one of those things. It's uh, piece of advice that anybody needs when you can never rely on British Rail <laughs> or in this case Abelio Greater Anglia uh, but uh, yeah so, but I'm here now and I've arrived safely in London so a great uh, couple of days for me sort of meeting up with friends and, and things like that so really looking forward to uh, to my weekend here so uh, yeah so sorry I missed out on the show but uh, thanks for having me on at the last minute anyway oh, that's uh, okay. it, it looks like it's been a good show we, well, we, we have tried. We had a little bit of a, uh, a technical uh, faux pas at the beginning of the show where the stream decided to uh, drop off um, kind of... Oh, did it? Yeah, the, the stream. <laughs> the, the red light. Remember the red light you, you said at the bottom of the uh, screen? You said when that, yes. when that red light fails to illuminate anymore, that's not good. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah we, where it's going red and red and amber, yes. red and amber, red yeah, and we, amber. Yeah, we had one of those instances. Yes, that, but that, that's, that's, that, that's all part of the fun. It's just, yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Never mind, hey. You, but you we survived. managed. We survived. Yeah. Just don't Absolutely. ever go away again, Matt. <laughs> okay, all right then. <laughs> well, I, I, I just got to remember that in future, I ha always have to leave you with a carer in the studio. You know, someone, someone to look after Carlos when I'm away. <laughs> yeah, we 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 definitely That's do fun. need that. Yeah. So you, have you got some food food on the uh, on the go then, Matt? Yes, no, the food's just arrived. It just popped outside to have a quick chat with you. Okay. Um, so that you can hear me. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, as I say, a great weekend planned, and uh, I'm I'm very pleased to hear that episode one 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 is in the can. Y yes, nearly. It's nearly in the can. Me and Neville are just going to uh, have a quick chit chat before we uh, end the show. Yeah. And, okay. uh, and right. yeah, so um, well, listen, listen, my food's going to get cold now, so I better, okay. I better run inside. But uh, nice to speak to you all. Uh, well done, hello, well done to Carlos, and again, thank you to Neville for stepping in at the last minute. And uh, yeah, I'll see you all uh, for episode one one two next week. Okay, yeah, then, cheers, Matt. Matt. Take care. Yeah, cheers, then, right, Matt. Guys. Take care. Good yourself. Bye to everyone in the chat room. Cheers. <laughs> bye, bye 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 bye. And there we go. <laughs> Well, that was good, wasn't it? How there, about that? There, there was, there was Matt, and that was it. So, yeah, yeah, he's safely in London anyway, through the uh, through the London transport system, which is good. But um, so, yes. Uh, so, uh, what uh, what things in the aviation world have uh, have you uh, been uh, picked up on this week, anyway, Neville? Uh, I think the um, obviously we're just coming into the uh, late spring, early summer time here, aren't we? So uh, there's lots of uh, new routes, lots of new things going on in the sort of uh, leisure and, and traveling world. And um, yeah, I, I think that um, the the biggest thing at the moment is uh, airport capacity in the UK. Um, there is not enough of it. And um, I don't know if you remember me saying that there was a, uh, I might be doing some work with uh, Heathrow um, a few episodes ago. And oh, wow. uh, I just got off the plane at Edinburgh the other day. And um, just when I got off at uh, Terminal 5 and went around the corner to, to see them, they said, oh, don't bother coming, Nev, because we've, uh, we've cancelled the project. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's another one that I've got to find some more money to uh, uh, to, to plug the hole with. But um, these big airport infrastructure projects go on and off all the time. Um, but uh, one of the 
biggest things, of course, is the third runway uh, in the southeast of England. And uh, that's uh, it just goes on and on and on. We've been doing this for 16 years, I'll have you and know. And uh, wow. 2000, we started talking about this, and it's now 2016, and the thing's still not built. Um, and, of course, Heathrow used to have three, run, uh, three runways in the old days. It used to have um, two seven left, two seven right, and... and uh, Two three zero five is the crosswind runway, um, but um, uh, so yeah, it, it's it's a big problem in the southeast of England. Um, I'm amazed they've not built a second runway at Stansted, for example. Um, but I do understand the sensitivity of uh, of the local residents. Lots of lovely villages around there, and in in my case, where I live in Buckinghamshire, of course, we're talking about the high speed two railway, which uh, is the last thing I want because that's going to be 400 meters from where I live. So. Um, just for people to get to Birmingham in, in uh, 20 minutes less time. So, yeah, the, these infrastructure projects do affect a lot of people. But um, uh, what's happened now, I think, with uh, the UK uh, operation is that we are losing a lot of business to uh, Amsterdam and Frankfurt and Schaldegal, uh, some of the big hub airports in, in uh, northern and central parts of Europe. So, um, yeah, that, that's a problem, definitely. So we, uh, a few weeks ago, Neville, we sent uh, an email to our local airport, which is Norwich International Airport, um, with regards to possibly uh, just going to the, uh, the airport to have a, a chat with the, the people that run the airport. And um, a bit disappointingly, I, did, I put it in the chat room earlier, that uh, we got an email back this week, and, and it, was, it was quite uh, an abrupt and... I wouldn't say nasty, but it was a very um, clear-cut answer, and it kind of basically said, "We're not interested. Go away." And I thought How that strange. I thought that was very, very poor uh, public relations. I think from Nor on the on the side of Norwich Airport um, that they, um, you know, basically t told us to, to go away. Um, I think what I've noticed is that there are some um, regional and local airports that are run by people, uh, that have people on the staff that are really interested in aviation and the local community and to try and be as helpful as they can. And there's other airports and other you know, types of uh, business as well um, that are, it's just there to do a job. It doesn't matter what it is. And they don't have the enthusiasm that you and I have for aviation, for example. So, yeah, that was a rather poor response there, I would have thought, from, from a part of the country that, um, you know, Norwich is actually um, a pretty decent size airport and has some interesting routes and i think a lot of maintenance goes on at norwich as well um from i remember correctly so yeah that's a bit of a shame isn't it yeah but it's a shame i it did it just um up, well not upset me but it just annoyed me a bit uh, it mm. could have been worded slightly different the email they sent but there we go. We have got um, something else lined up for um, either the end of this month or June, um, which um, some of you may know about. I think you know about this, Neville. Yes. Um, which we've got lined up, which is um, going to be very good indeed, uh, especially for uh, me and Pip, because Pip's coming with me on this particular trip that we're going on. Uh, to a part of the UK. I'm not going to say anything else because I've, I've just, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few uh, few people who do know about this, um, but we're uh, we're going to try and keep it a secret as much as we can for as long yes, as we can. Yes, I I'm, I know about it, but uh, I've, obviously I won't say anything about it. But it is <laughs> seriously exciting. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, it's something really uh, to look forward to, definitely. 
yeah, it definitely is. Um, so don't forget, for those of you guys in the chat room and obviously listening through the audio side of things, um, we, we, we've set you that little task there earlier on in the show uh, to tell us who your favourite airline is and uh, and give us your reasons why. If you send us in, as I said, send in your uh, answers to the uh, show on the uh, email address, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, and uh, we'll comp compile them all together and we'll sort of, over the next couple of weeks, put them all in a... In a, uh, in a list and we'll see who comes out as uh, top trumps in the, in the realms of the airline world. Just do our own little PTUK top 10. Um, Matt, Matty Fab's in the chat room. He said, give us a clue, Carlos. No, I'm not giving any clues away. <laughs> no, no clues away. There's not really a clue I could give them, Neville, is there, that, that would be no, kind of... It's, it's um, all or nothing, isn't it, really? Yeah. So it'll have to be nothing until <laughs> you're ready to make the, uh, the announcement. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. Well, I think um, we better bring everything to a close, I suppose. It's just uh, coming up towards 10 o'clock. It's been anywhere near you, Matty Fab. Um, no. No. It's not. It's not. No. <laughs> Wrong end of the country. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, Neville knows better than me. So we better bring, uh, we better bring the episode 111 to a close. Neville, I really do have to say thanks ever so much for, um, for, for coming on the show uh, at the, at literally, literally within 10 minutes before we started the show, uh, Neville uh, very kindly agreed to come on. So uh, thanks ever so much for coming on the show, Neville. Well, you're very welcome, Carlos. And uh, yeah, it's great fun once again. And uh, thanks to everybody in the chat room for uh, your superb contributions. <laughs> and I uh, really do enjoy it. And uh, yeah, but great uh, being part of the show again. So thanks very much indeed for inviting me. That's fine. It's been uh, been a pleasure having you, Neville. And uh, we've also we've also uh, been in chats with uh, in talks with Neville. Neville's actually uh, he he actually going to come down and see us at some point here at uh, the PTUK headquarters. And I think uh, it would only be uh, too uh, good or uh, no good for me and Matt to uh, take Neville out for uh, one to one of our local restaurants for a meal. I think that would be quite a good idea, don't you, Neville? Well, that sounded like yes, absolutely, yeah, fantastic, excellent. So. I'm going to say a big thank you then to everyone in the chat room for joining us uh, on the show today. And uh, for, for those of you who have joined, who've joined us uh, who don't normally come, or don't, can't normally get in the chat room because uh, we normally record on the Saturday morning, as you know, uh, it's been great to have you in the chat room. Um, there's so many people in here. I mean, it'll take me an age to mention everyone here. Um, I'll try and sort of go through. Uh, I mean, there's um, Neville, you can help me here. Tony S., Pilot Pip, Paul Tricker, Micah, Steph. Um, who else am I missing Matty here? Fab. Matty Fab. Yeah. Glenn Towler. Stuart uh, Bakker. Uh, Stuart Bakker, yeah. Um, yeah. Myla, Graham, Myla. Haley. Uh, the list goes on, doesn't it? Um, Dr. Steph, of course. Micah. Uh, so if if Jonathan I Jonathan Warner, yeah, missed anybody out, I do apologise. But uh, yeah, Graham Haley, yeah, it's been a load of loads of great people in there tonight. So thanks ever so much for you guys for joining us. Don't forget, you can catch us uh, next week. Uh, I'd imagine we'll be back to our normal recording uh, schedule of uh, a Saturday morning. Um, so you can catch us next week on Saturday. Matt will be back in the studio. Hopefully, fingers crossed, if he's made his way back from London. And, uh, yeah, we will hopefully, uh, we'll hopefully be back with loads of great news stories next week. And I'm also uh, just waiting to hear from uh, a guest that we hopefully will be having on the show next week uh, who, who I can, I can uh, tell you uh, is uh, one of the BBC's correspondents for aviation. 
which will be quite nice to have on the show. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll have him on next week. But uh, I'm still waiting to hear back uh, as uh, if he can come on the show uh, next Saturday. So fingers crossed he will be able to. Well, that is it then. We're going to bring the show to a close. Uh, don't forget you can find us uh, on iTunes, all the usual podcasts, uh, downloading type places, and the website as well. Uh, for those of you guys and girls who don't know, www.plaintalkinguk.com. If you want to email the show, send your emails into podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, don't forget Twitter at Plain Talking UK. Follow us on Twitter and uh, don't forget to catch up with us on Facebook for all the latest news stories that get posted on there throughout the week. Uh, so, any last words then uh, from you, Neville? No, just uh, looking forward to a, a nice weekend. The weather has uh, perked up very nicely here in the southeast of England. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a bit of barbecue action, I think, tomorrow, all, all being well, uh, f- uh, with some beer as well, which is oh, uh, like what we that. like to do, isn't it? IPA, IPA, Neville? Uh, very likely, yes. Yeah. Um, or probably for my local uh, Chiltern Brewery just down the road. So I should oh, be uh, popping down there tomorrow to pick up a few bottles. So uh, from me, Carlos, and I hope you all have a fantastic weekend, uh, whatever you're doing. I uh, hope the weather's as good for you as it uh, hopefully should be for us here in the UK over the weekend. So from me, Carlos, it is a big goodbye. And from you, Neville? Yeah, cheers, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks very much indeed for watching and listening again. Okay, take care. Bye. See you. Bye.